Hi gang, how's it going? Yes, it's time for your monthly dose of Effin Hormones, the podcast about perimenopause and beyond. It's me and my three mates, Bina, Terry and Helen. Now we've all struggled with our hormones at one point or another, and that's why we like to spend our time swearing, laughing and generally supporting each other and you through it all. Now coming up, you're going to hear from someone who can help with the supporting side of things. Hazel Schall is a business psychologist and coach who's got loads of great insights in how to cope with it all. She's also very cool because, get this, she's got these coaching cards that say, I'll handle it on one side and fuck it on the other. Love it. It's so <laughs> up our street there, isn't it? It's very effing hormones. We cannot wait to hear what she's got to say. Uh, but first, as always, let's have a little catch up with the gang. Uh, no Beanie today, sadly, but uh, how are you guys doing, Terry and Helen? Hello. Good. Happy good, New Year. Good. Happy New Year. Well, how is 2024 for you so far, Terry? No, it's good. It's good. It's been, uh, I had a, a break over Christmas and New Year and then back to back to normality the last few days. It's been a bit of a bang back to earth, but I'm still doing so. I don't know if, um, if you guys are doing this, but a few of the people on our Effing Hormones Facebook page have joined me doing the 30 days of yoga with Adrienne. As you know, Yay. we always go on about yoga with Adrienne. So yeah, we've got a few a few people doing that. We've got, I think Susan is doing it and Alison and I think my friend Sarah and my friends Nita are doing it as well. So um, it's good to it's good to have other people doing it because it encourages me to do it as well because otherwise I can, I can just suck it off. But are you doing it as well, Helen? Brilliant. I'm a day behind, but I'm doing all right. Excellent. I'm oh, day- well, I'm two years behind, so I think you're doing better than me. <laughs> we're, let, we're letting you off Emma because you have got a baby darling I know do baby yoga you just get in the way they, basically I, I am blaming her but I, I'm blaming her for the f- fact that I'm not in the, a member of the gym anymore I've not done a yoga class for two years and I don't really go running anymore so I, I do F all basically so I really do need to pull my finger out and do something could you not put her in a buggy and run with the buggy Oh, people do do that, don't they? I know, it's a bit poncy though, isn't it? can run with buggies. Yeah, maybe not. I'd probably b- fall over and break my ankle knowing me. <laughs> Put a coffee on it or something, <laughs> no, go for a walk instead. <laughs> do you know what, Ems? It, it will come back. Listen, it, it, this is what it's yeah. like. I mean, I, and I remember this, you know, this is what it's like. I mean, and to be honest, you're, you're still sort of probably lifting her and carrying her up. So you've probably got dead strong arms. But it, it, it is like that at the start. But, you know, like my little boy's yeah. ten, 10 now and I've got my little sort of routine in the morning where I can do it every morning and... It'll, it'll come back it'll come back at some point so don't you worry you you don't beat yourself up about it just uh yeah you can't really do um yoga with a rug rat can you because they just no. get in the way They're just <laughs> constantly shuffling rat. onto your yoga mat the one or two times i've tried it in the last two years it's like yoga with benji <laughs> Yo- yoga with neve yeah <laughs> not as good as benji not as chilled as benji no benji being the dog in adrian oh. if anyone anyone's wondering who oh, we're yeah. talking about but, uh, but yeah, that's that's me. Yeah, so having, yeah, I had a, a good break to sort of start the year and now it's like back. But yeah, just keeping going with the yoga and that's, I think, just getting through a day at a time is just sometimes quite a, a, a feat in itself, to be honest. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. What about, what about you, Helen? Well, I was going to talk about something that actually I started last year, but I've just been sort of reflecting on it because... Um, because it's that kind of time of year, isn't it, when you sort of think about what you've been doing. And, and last year I started going to Reiki. And I've talked about acupuncture before because, as we've talked about many times in this podcast, I've really struggled with my gut health down the years and 
That's been a perimenopausal thing. And for a good few years, actually, I genuinely don't think I could have gone to work had I not been going for acupuncture regularly. Because it's the only, and I didn't know what was wrong with me at the time and blah, blah, blah. And it was amazing. And I moved away, so I haven't got my regular acupuncturist anymore. It's just dropped off. And I found this Reiki sessions down the road. And actually, I went because they do these like, has anyone have you ever been for a gong spa? Have you ever had the gongs? Where you lie in the. Oh, I had. I had have to you do been for one the gongs? Years ago. Helen, yeah. you do yeah. the weirdest mm. things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, you know I'm a bit of a secret hippie, right? Yeah, not so oh, secret oh. anymore. <laughs> no, I know. I don't care, really. I, I always like to approach this by saying, well, I think there's a scientific explanation behind all of these things. We just haven't discovered how to explain it yet. Chakras. That's my approach. You know what I mean? So, I'm, yeah, chakras, right? Uh, funnily enough, I was going to talk about this. So so I went because they were doing a gong spa. Right. If you've not been right, you lie on the gong. ground and they, they've got these great big like gongs big and they play the gong. gongs. Well, it's yeah. yeah. But they but the shimmering, the vibration, the vibes, man, the, vi- the sound vibrations sort of like rattle your cells apparently because you feel it you know when you've got like you're all laughing at me I know you're, you're all you're all taking the piss but anyway <laughs> sorry um, you can see <laughs> you can't do that <laughs> Helen there'll be nothing left <laughs> all right you buggers I'm gonna go I'm gonna be ayahuasca retreat next year whatever oh my god um, oh yes <laughs> anyway so I went because of the gong spa didn't realize they did reiki I was expecting a bunch of hippies no, it's not. It's actually some really dead down to earth manx and a woman who's a zumba teacher as well. And you know, um, and honest to God, I had this reiki session, and it was like I had the, I was having the most powerful acupuncture I've ever had. Like, and oh. afterwards, I felt freaking great, like really great. And I've been going. Is this like, the one they just put the hand? Sorry to be ignorant, but I mean, there will be people listening that don't know what the hell it is. So, is this when they like put the hands around you, but they don't actually touch you, yeah. and yeah. the vibes reach you over you? Right. Yeah. yeah, okay. Except they do touch. They do. They yeah. do touch your your head. They just touch your head because there's like a right. large group of us, and so they've got the gongs going on, and then a couple of people are going round, and they touch touch the head, and then touch the top of the head, and then they put their arms over your heart, so you can feel the warmth from it, but you're not being touched. And the first time I went, honestly, it blew my mind. I was like, Jesus, this woman's really good. This is really, uh, really powerful. I feel like I've had, like, the most incredibly powerful acupuncture session. And honestly, it genuinely, it really helps. Whether or not it's just about chilling me out, I don't care. Because it made made my tummy feel better. And so I've been sporadically going on and off, like, over the year. And um, I've decided I'm going to do a, I'm going to do, train you. You can do Reiki 1 where you learn how to Reiki yourself and then you oh. do Reiki 2 where you learn how to Reiki other people and that is going to be my thing for 2024. I'm going to do it. Wow. But honestly, I've, it's mad experiences where like, I see colours and I, I, or I, or I, it's like meditating. It's like yeah, meditating. That'll be the magic was... mushrooms you took before you went though, Helen. <laughs> CBD. Uh, 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 well, you know, I always crack open those drinks because I don't bloody yeah, drink no. anymore. I get the CBD drinks, don't I? But oh. honestly, there's all kinds of stuff that goes on. And, Helen, uh, you only live down the road from me. Next time you're going for a gong bath, well, let I me know. Well, I about this ages ago and you've not Did come you? yet. You've not come. Oh, I it's forgot on a, then. It's on a Monday or a Wednesday night, so you need to come. But hey, guess what? The woman I got chatting to the woman next to me last time I went. And guess what? Hey, she was perimenopausal. Oh. And, uh, so I was thinking, right, this is a this is a, a thing for perimenopausal women, perhaps. But like, let me like explain this, right? I sort of see colours, see different colours quite often when I'm having this Reiki. And at the end of it, they say, oh, that's your blah, blah chakra. And that's the light to this, this colour. Well, I don't know what all the different chakras are called, but there's like one, there's one like I quite often feel at the bottom of my, you know, on my abdomen. And that's, I don't know. They've all got names, right? 
they've all got names and they're all affiliated to different colours. So I'm like, well, oh. I didn't, I don't know about this stuff. So how am I seeing, genuinely, how am I experiencing seeing these colours when I'm getting this Reiki done if I don't know about it? We're going to have to do some investigation, aren't we, and find out. We are. There well, it go. sounds fascinating, though, Helen. I am definitely up for experiencing it and um, trying to see colours myself. Yeah. Sacral chakra is the one that you're talking about, I think. Yeah. Well, so Reiki is like early 1920s, teachings of... I'm not going to say the guy's name because it's Japanese, but he was a, a lay monk, um, and that's where people say it originates from, apparently. Mm. Was he a lay monk because he was laid down all the time doing self-chakra? Self-Reiki. Tell you what, I'll do me Reiki too, and then I'll come over and Reiki you. Excellent. <laughs> well, Ray, what Reiki you know, are you charging? Do you know what, yeah, do you know what we need? We need, some, we need some gongs on this episode, and, and if we are going to appeal to women who go to Reiki, let's just get some gongs in every episode and then just give them a false <laughs> sense of, you know, security that we're just going to, yeah, Reiki session. <laughs> Look, do you know what? I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's like a spirit, I'm sure there's a, a scientific reason behind, because there is something around like, you know, sound having an impact on your body. Oh, be, definitely. Be, Vibrations you know. and all that. Isn't it? Now, I'm taking the Mickey, Helen, but I actually am quite interested in it. Honestly. Yeah, there you go. You go. I did Indian he- head, neck and shoulder massage course when I was lived in Nottingham many years ago and I went for weeks and I loved it. So, you know, that was all about chakras and all that. Inner peace. Inner ah, peace. Ah, there you go. You see, she's a, she's a secret yeah. hippie. Yeah. I'm hanging out with a bunch of hippies here. <laughs> I really am. <laughs> <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> Well, it's now time for you to hear from our guest for this episode. Hazel Shawell is a business psychologist and a coach who works with a lot of high-profile private and public sector organisations. She describes herself as a corporate mum. Um, She's also, talking to podcasts, got her own podcast called Endings, which is all about how you navigate your way through the kinds of life transitions that we all experience at, at one time or another. And as well as helping other people through their lives, boy, does she have a big life story of her own. She has been through a lot and learned a heck of a lot from it as well. And we're really excited to have her on the programme and to hear her wisdom. Welcome, Hazel. Well, thank you for having me. (laughs) Well, there's there's so much to cover, so let's crack on. But... um, First of all, business psychologist and coach, I suppose those, we all know what it sort of means, but what do you really do and what do you generally help people with? I generally coach chief execs or um, senior leaders, national partners, things like that, um, when it's the balance between who they are professionally, how they feel about themselves, which has often been mightily neglected over a couple of decades, and then their social relationships. So it's trying to get a bit of balance uh, and that's why, yes, when I'm working for whole boards, I can look a bit like corporate mum. <laughs> but the intention is I walk alongside execs to figure out how to, yeah, be a little happier. And do they listen to you on the on the most part? Or they sound like a difficult group of people to work with. I, don't, I might be wrong. The, the fabulous part about coaching is they're not listening to me. I just have to ask them really annoying questions. And so they're figuring it out themselves. Occasionally I do have a bit of, you know, it's the joy of being late 50s when you can have a little bit of wisdom of okay here's here's how I experienced it or here's what um, somebody else I've coached I do that quite a lot where I pair people together 
So you okay. go talk to them. Um, and what about working with female executives? Because I'm going to assume that you've worked with plenty of them who are, you know, juggling busy, important lives and experiencing menopause. Oh, yes, absolutely. That I've coached a number of uh, female chief execs for about 15 years where you, you sort of see them through a huge chunk of their career uh, that includes everything from their, their having their children for some, for some it's their children leaving home, but then when it comes to the personal side, the menopause, the more you get to know people then they do trust you to say, actually, I was really struggling in the board meeting because I couldn't concentrate and I was going a bit mental. <laughs> I've suddenly got really ragey and I don't know why. Yeah. I think, mm. oh, I might. Oh, so you, you've helped a few women <laughs> diagnose their menopause then? Well, there's been quite a few. Why don't you go to the GP and get or get your you know hormone levels checked? Because obviously the, it's such a range as to when women can sh- first start to be perimenopausal. But... You know, you don't always know. You can't make an assumption that, oh, because you're that age, you're probably going to be going through it. You know, some start horribly early. Well, yeah, in, in your own case, which we'll come on to talk about. Oh, yeah. Um, but we've <laughs> talked about this quite a lot on, on the podcast. But, you know, it seems to be that, you know, just at, when women are at the height of their powers and the height of their successes and being, you know, given those responsibilities, it's when the menopause hits. So it's a really tough time for women in the workplace, isn't it? Yeah, because they're juggling... Uh, especially if you're trying to keep it secret. But when you experience huge brain fog or, you know, you didn't sleep and so you're exhausted and you're a bit crotchety, it's difficult then um, that people don't make it mean something about your performance rather than this is just a temporary phase. So like people see pregnancy now, it's like it's a phase and it will, it will, it will end. There is a timeline to it. Now, of course, in menopause, it can be 12 years. Which is, <laughs> God, yes. No pregnancy anyone's ever done. Don't we know it? I know. Yeah. But that, I think the more, all, well, men and women can be educated about, you know, every woman will go through this at some point. So, you know, some earlier than others, but there is a, yeah. So there's a natural rhythm to it. And is part of your job giving them tips on how to cope with that in the workplace as well? What sort of stuff are you saying? Sometimes, yeah, it's fi- it's finding places to go for information, for support. But often it's just the solidarity of saying, this is normal. It feels like hell, but it's normal. And I think the more women can talk about it, then the better, because it normalises everyone's experience. You don't think, oh, I am absolutely going crazy. Mm. I've known a few who've come to me saying, secretly, I think I'm losing it, or I think I've got dementia. Mm. And it's like, nope, like, go and get your hormones checked. <laughs> Do you work with any of the, the men in companies to help them understand how menopause might be affecting their colleagues, their employees? Yeah, I, I did a fabulous piece of work with, it was actually the um, uh, Nursing and Midwifery Council, but they created an online resource to educate all of their employees about menopause. And because often if, say, um, a nurse or a midwife has had a fitness to practice claim against them and some of the reason that she wasn't quite on top form was menopause, well, she's risking losing her licence, her career, or for something that won't last forever. It is Mm. a temporary and there are reasonable accommodations I think an employer can make. But it's an interesting one of really getting people to understand what are the symptoms, what can you do? Also, what's the myths? There's there's quite a few herbal remedies that just need to be binned. (laughs) But those are the kind of things we, we put together. So, Hazel, you mentioned before about keeping it secret. 
I mean, is that a really common mm. response with the women that you work with in this environment? Sadly, yes. I mean, as you, you said, Emma, the idea that you can be affected by this at the height of your career can, I think, encourage this climate of secrecy. Of, I can't admit to having what feels like a, a, a difference or flaw or something that you know, I'm not performing at my best. I can't do that. I have to compete. So, yeah, I think that's that's the mindset I get usually when, when women first start, usually dancing around it a little bit and you think, do you think you're perimenopausal? Mm. If you do, let's just talk about it. Let's put it on the table. I mean, has that has that got any better, do you think, you know, since the whole sort of Davina documentary and all the celebrities speaking out? Yes. You know, because I suppose from our perspective, we've been sort of part of this zeitgeist, I guess, of talking about perimenopause and menopause. And it's easy for us to be in a bubble where we're like, well, we just talk about it. So therefore, everyone's talking about it. So it's just really interesting to get your your experience and your insights for places where actually it is a struggle still to talk about I think there are some areas it's a struggle and just the same as I uh, I think there is an issue still culturally with aging for women and and so it's all linked in with that isn't it it's a really visible reminder that we are we get older and you know I was talking to one female exec who just said you know uh Guys get old and, you know, paunchy and grey and, and they just become the kind of the wise old man. But there's no, we don't have a cultural equivalent of wise women now. Mm. And we need to kind of get that back, that Definitely. older women have something really valuable to offer. Uh, but a part of that means we have to not worry so much about signals of ageing, that we are okay, that we have something really valuable that you can't get any other way than live. Yeah, we need, <laughs> to, be, a long time. We need to be like the orcas, don't we? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> These kind of like tribal symbols of uh, el- the, be- becoming a venerated elder. Love <laughs> that. Like, I like the sound of Who's that. this old bird? Do you know, when you said we need to be like the orcas, I, I pictured the orcs. Oh, the whales. <laughs> no, I meant the whales. <laughs> I was thinking, but I pictured Lord of the Rings. I was thinking, why do we need to be like the orcs? Oh, my God. That's my brain this evening. We don't it need to kill well, elves. You're in, you, you know you're in good company, Terry. But just in case you haven't listened to the episode with Kate Muir where we talk about orcas, they are um, they uh, the granny orcas are like the badasses, aren't they? And they sort of protect their tribe, and they they go through menopause. And I think they're yeah. one of the few other animals apart from this. Although I did hear on the radio the other day that apparently they think giraffes also go through menopause. So anyway, giraffes and orcas, we're in that. Oh. Uh, we're in that crowd. But the a granny, you know, gr- the granny whales, granny orcas are like badass and they protect everybody and hold everyone together. So I love it. Yeah. They're in charge, basically. They're, they're, they're in charge. They are the ones. Yeah. Anyway, let us um, direct questions more towards you and your life, Hazel, and your personal experiences, because we know that effing hormones have... Uh, caused you considerable problems over the years haven't they really oh yes um <laughs> not us obviously no. just no. just your honest gov <laughs> so let's start uh, i know there's a lot to talk about but talking about endometriosis because that really affected you didn't it can you tell us a bit about what happened yeah it did for a long time when i was younger i used to think wow, you know, this period nonsense, this is horrendous. It, and it's only, again, by being able to talk to um, other women that you start to think, oh, maybe what I experience 
isn't normal. Mm. The whole, you know, doing a lot of flooding on trains. I learned to just dress like a goth for many years. It's like always wear dark trousers because at some point you're going to get stuck. Um, and the 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 pain levels and you can pass out from blood loss. So it was God, pretty wow. shocking. What I wow. thought was, and it is still a statistic, I believe, is that how long it takes to get diagnosed. Now, mm. how many years you go with it being, oh, it'll just settle down. It, no, it won't. And meantime, I've got, you know, lesions sticking my bowel together. And so it was oh. pretty bad. I had oh, four operations to sort of laser off the endometriosis. But then that was once I'd got the diagnosis. Uh, for a while, they uh, suspended almost my the ovary function by using a prostate cancer drug. That was a lovely phase. Um, so there was there was just didn't seem to be a lot of options for endometriosis. They kept saying, really, what you need is menopause. So, like, basically wait till you're 50 and go through the... Oh, crikey. Really? Is that it? And Is what that, age was... was did the problem start quite young then as well? Yeah, so I, I started periods about 16 and it was yeah. already very evident. Was, uh, yeah. yeah, but by then. So I think that sense of uh, it feeling like a, a dreaded time. I think during any typical month, I might have four days of not bleeding. Like what? This is not a way to live. Wow! <laughs> it, wow! It wasn't like when are you starting? And it was when am I stopping? <laughs> I might get a little bit of re- reprieve. So I think that's when the whole situation of of realizing because that's the other side that said, oh, or have a baby, which is have a men- go through menopause or have a baby. That'll sort your endometriosis out. But for do a they bit. do they say that to you? And, yeah. yeah, yeah, wow. <laughs> It's a corker. We're like, mm, not really possible for me right now. And it, at the time, you think, okay, well, I'll have a baby. And then, of course, mm, I'm, I'm on third marriage before I <laughs> actually find someone I'd want to have a child with. And sadly, by then, it was too late. Mm. Gosh. So it did lead to infertility then? Well, I think it was already affecting my capacity to uh, get pregnant. Mm. definitely but it was more um the brain tumor got in the way and i i genuinely thought i could have children and then we just before we got married we went to see the gynecologist and he was like yeah yeah i mean it could you might need help but we can we can certainly help you to get pregnant i was like excellent this is good and then i went to see my neurologist who just went are you insane what are you thinking of? He went, no, if you get pregnant, your brain swells in pregnancy. You've got too much scarring in your brain from surgery. And basically you will be dead or vegetative state. If you Gosh. want him to raise your child, go for it. I was like, well, that's brutal. Okay. Wow. But honest. Well, we need to talk about the brain tumour then because that's what happened to you age just 33. Can you tell us a bit oh. about that, that diagnosis and, and what happened there? Because this is yeah. quite an unbelievable story, isn't it? Well, this had been a, a bit of a weird one in that uh, I, a couple of times in my 20s, I'd felt like I was having strange uh, symptoms of like walking through cobwebs. And I'd, they'd do a lumbar puncture and go, it's not MS, get on your way, lady. And you think, OK. But at no point did someone say, what looks like MS, but isn't MS. And it was only when I was in that sort of a 32, just, just turned 32, just set my business up. And I went to see a chiropractor of all people who just said, can you just put your feet together? Because, you know, just do it for me. I put my feet together, fell straight over. And I went, yeah, 
and you know, it, you've got no balance, but it's happened slowly and you didn't even realise. So when, when I was lying on my front and he was doing the manipulation, he said, I'm just going to do to your you know, right-hand side what I've been doing to your left-hand side. And apparently he'd been sticking a safety pin all the way down and I hadn't felt it at all. What? So he thought it was MS oh, and gosh. said, if I got what I think you've got, I'd want the best. Here's the name of the best. I hope you've got good insurance. Um, and thank God. Odd. I didn't cancel my insurance when I set the business up. I was like, at the time, I thought, oh, it's very expensive, private healthcare. Why would I need that? Almost cancelled it. Thank fuck I didn't. Yeah. Um, so oh. I was seen within a day, within three days I had a diagnosis. It was it was all very fast from there because it took the, the neurologist 12 minutes to work out there was something wrong. That was it. it just tested reflex went, yep. This, this is a thing but when he then because I'd convinced myself it was uh, MS he'd convinced me it was MS draw me the diagrams and everything and I'd gone home and of all stupid stupid tactics watched Jacqueline Dupre the film uh, the cellist who dies of MS and of course right. OMG you just ah, it was the only time I got really scared because I thought I can't die like that I just mm. can't it just can't face that but when I then went for my diagnosis and he said I'm really sorry it's a brain tumour I cheered and went unusual yes very unusual response yeah says no one ever yeah it's a brain tumour but actually it meant they could they could operate and they operated pretty quickly uh, took two goes that's phrase you never want to hear from a neurosurgeon didn't go quite as we planned <laughs> Mm, oh, it's horrendous. But that's the that's the um, scar tissue that I'm then left with that will always give me a few problems when I get hot, stressed, and tired. Gosh. But they also didn't. They told you to ring your family. They thought you were going to die. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think they they were the surgeons were being really kind and had um, told me because I'd got very long hair at the time. Cut your hair short and choppy, and then we won't need to take it all off, and you'll feel better. And so they just took all of one side. It looked like I got a really severe undercut going on. But then, uh, what happened on the second surgery is a hair got in to the wound, and it was that infection that almost killed me. So the oh, surviving gosh. two lots of brain surgery, and it's a blooming infection. They just couldn't get it under control. They'd thrown everything at it, said you've got zero white blood cell count, and said that's it, you've nothing left to fight with now. So we we do want us to ring your family. And that's why I like, nope, I do not want them rushing through the night to watch me die. So they'll either wake in the morning to sad news, or it won't happen because I'm so and stubborn <laughs> I, I'm not going to do it and I was got I got convinced plus I, uh, as I shared in my podcast it, it was the bit I wasn't expecting to share originally which is very strange near-death experience I think due to the amount of opioids <laughs> all the opioids and it was that I sort of drifted off and then felt someone sit on the bed and was stroking my hair and my head saying Ita which is what my German nanny used to say and I was like what what is this and I opened my eyes and there's me at 50 Looking good. And did you look like you look now? No. Well, kind of, yes. Um, I I was bigger and actually I hadn't thought that because I've always been size eight and all the steroids and everything after my surgery, I very rapidly got to a lot more than that. And see, but I looked and thought, as my nana would say, Bonnie. I looked (laughs) Bonnie. And it was really interesting because I was, I I looked happy and I I looked successful. I thought, so vain. I was like, oh, check me out. 
like looking good. <laughs> but, um, and I could hear this conversation that I, apparently I was having with someone else going, no, no, she's got to stay away. She needs to know it's worth living for. We've got three boys. She's got to fight. She needs to stay awake. It's going to be worth it. She's got to fight. And and it was this, you know, let her sleep. And at one point, she, this, you know, vision just said, and if it's too much, just sleep, love. And it's exactly how I talk to people. And you think... And I wouldn't have known. It was just, just sleep, love. And I thought, no, I'm not going to. I'm going to stay awake. And this fabulous nurse came in and went, what are you doing? Because I was struggling to sit up and I've got drains and all sorts in. And I said, I've got to stay awake. That's the only way I'm going to live through this. She went, right, I better cut the, put the kettle on then. And went and made me tea and toast all night. And we sat and chatted. Amazing woman. <laughs> And do you think um, as well as completely freaking you out, it really did spur you on to, to get through that night and then get better and it live your did. life? It did. It did. It was like the I, afterwards I thought the scientist in me thinks that is the most creative vision my brain could have thrown at me to make me fight because otherwise I was ready just to stop, to be fair. And it's almost as though you were coaching yourself because you're a coach, but your future self was coaching you, isn't it? Yeah. It's deeply freaky. It's yeah. deeply freaky. And do you know what she needs? She needs a dose of 50-something cents. <laughs> She's got to get it. The only bit that made me laugh that I was shares that um, there was not not a few years after uh, when Ian and I were married that I was sitting in the house looking around and I, I looked and I've got three male cats. I was like, booker. I have got three boys. You lying witch. <laughs> <laughs> I was conned. The whole prophecy came true. It did. But I'm looking at my three boys going, and we actually called them the boys. It's like, oh, I do have three boys. Just not the kind of thought. <laughs> <laughs> what a story, Hazel, honestly. It just blows your mind, doesn't it? It really does. Yeah. And of course, after that, there was quite a lot of recovery, wasn't there? There was a lot of, oh. you had to learn to walk again. Yeah, three three months in hospital, uh, couldn't walk, couldn't speak properly, couldn't use cutlery, uh, still can't do screw tops. That that ev- that's evaded me for <laughs> 20 years. But most of it, um, I, I got the walking back before I left hospital. And the only thing, though, I'd been taught by a male physio and uh, it was only when a female, one of the nurses were walking back going, there's something very wrong. It's like, oh, you don't sachet, you don't move your hips like a woman you walk like a man now so you walk really straight hip so there's me and a bunch of nurses practicing sashaying up and down oh, corridors and move working baby working you could have got some drag queens yeah. in that would have worked so oh yeah it yeah so it would have done just stretch Getting yeah. the movement going, uh, yeah. So a lot of rehab. I, I still have rehab. The fact that I'm 23 years in and I still have weekly physio, which I've just come back from. <laughs> so it just doesn't stop. It's a really long recovery, isn't it? And then, and then part of it was a hysterectomy. Was that connected? Oh uh, well, that I think once uh, I, I was about to get married again, and I we we went and get this advice, and that's when he said no, unless you want him to raise your child. Right. Then. I think after that, I probably lost a bit of hope around the endo. And I thought, do I really want to put up with all of this when I'm already dealing with neuro recovery? Do I want to deal with this as well or have had enough? And I probably was a bit easily talked into a hysterectomy at 42 
because I thought the bit that was painful at the time, apart from, yeah, aside from having a gynae problem, um, was hope. It was the horrible idea that I could technically have got pregnant. I could, but I'm mean, okay, I accept I couldn't have lived to carry the baby, but, you know, so it was all still possible. Mm. And, I, and I hated that. I actually needed it over. I think, and yeah, just stop with this. So I had a, a surgeon who just said, well, if we do a hysterectomy, you'll go handbrake turn into menopause immediately, but we can give you HRT, we can, you know, we can. there's things we can do, but immediately it will stop that part. That's amazing that they, they said that because a lot of people, a lot of women have hysterectomies and aren't warned that they're going to go into menopause and that their hormones are going to be gone and... You know, yeah, I know people who've gone through that and have, haven't been offered HRT, haven't had anything explained to them and have just gone absolutely mad, not knowing what's going on. The one thing I don't think I was prepared for is what it actually meant, because I'm almost like blithely going, oh, yes, 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 menopause, you know, like the end of <laughs> the end of periods. That sounds ace. Let's do that. <laughs> and no sense of, actually, this is fundamental. And it was only when it was a bit too late, because I'd had the surgery, I talked to my cardiologist who said you've immediately aged your heart and lungs, your cardiovascular system. And actually, if you could have done anything else, you should have done to try and preserve your cardiovascular fitness. Now, at the time, though, you know, the one thing with the, not just the brain surgery, but everything they discovered about while they were tinkering around was, you know, I wasn't meant to live to 40. You know, if I, even with, with, getting through surgery I wasn't meant to last so part of me was like oh who cares <laughs> just whatever years I've got let's have some fun let's not have to worry about blooming you know hormones and periods let's just stop but in reality I have uh, beaten every prediction and so I will hopefully be here for a very long time but that does mean I have to deal with the consequences <laughs> of some rash decisions in my 40s but were we prepared for all the sort of other side effects of the menopause, of which there are many, many? Oh, no. Sitting in meetings, uh, feeling like my pores are leaking when I'm just sweating and a bit like, foggy. And I had no idea. Brain fog I did not know about. Night sweats. I'd heard the phrase, but no idea what that actually meant when you're getting up to get changed in the middle of the night. And you think... What's mm. this fresh hell? <laughs> it's, it's appalling. Not, it's not just a bit of sweat, is it? It's no. you need to change no. the sheets now. Yeah. yeah. It's the love, you might as well get up. <laughs> just swim. <laughs> just awful. Well, you know about that, don't you, Emma? Oh, horrible. I don't miss those those moments, but HRT has thankfully helped that significantly. Have you, have, did you find the same once the HRT kicked in? Did it improve things? It did. It was a miracle treatment. And, the, you know, getting my thinking back, getting the, even controlling the hot blushes and the night sweats. And I think it just made things feel like, okay, I can do this. I I can still tell if I forget. So if I forget to take it or to use it, um, I use the gel. It's like I forget all over again. So I wake in the middle of the night going, what, what, what? I think, uh, oh, you've forgotten it a couple of days. Right. <laughs> Get that gel on. Slap mm. it on. <laughs> and what about your identity? Did you feel like it affected you mentally a lot as well, going through the menopause? Um, I, unexpectedly, yes. I, I went through a phase, I think at my lowest, bearing in mind I am 
a ridiculously positive person with everything else I've gone through. And and yet there was a one phase where I caught myself saying, I feel pointless. I can't have children. Uh, the whole, the, you know, everything's my reproductive system gone. It's like, what is the point of me? And it took a little while, I think, to bounce back from that, to be able to think, well, actually, I don't. There doesn't need to be a point to me. You know, I'm like any living part of this planet. I'm there. I just, I just am, and it's okay. I'm not arrogant enough to think there needs to be a part, a point to me. But it was an interesting moment to go. I feel pointless and I think compounded by this attitude to women aging of everything's about mm. oh it's really good you don't look your age like yeah but I am my age I've got arthritis my joints go in I've got everything else I am 57 it's like it's okay to be my age why are we why am I trying to pretend to be younger and I've clearly been frowning for you know 50 odd years <laughs> <laughs> but it is my one line yeah but it is mad, isn't it? It's like we all sort of grieve this part of our lives and, you know, the fact that we can't reproduce anymore. It just it becomes this really significant thing, doesn't it? Yeah. And it's strange because it, it doesn't matter whether you've had children or not. So I've had friends who absolutely, resolutely did not want them. And yet when they went through menopause, it's like, well, that's the last ch- chance to change your mind. And it's gone. And mm. now you are forever living with your choices because there's no more time to change. We've talked about this quite a lot, haven't we, guys, on on Effing Hormones in the past? Yeah. Yeah, and it's the same with with myself, that, you know, I couldn't have children, but to be fair, you know, I have such a ridiculously busy life that I'm not entirely sure. I probably would be one of those women who left the children in the supermarket. So, you know, (laughs) I think the world... Have you done that yet, Emma? (laughs) (laughs) I haven't actually, no. Surprisingly, mm. no. I've lost her in the house a couple of times. So I'm like, found her in the cupboard. Terry, <laughs> um, go on. You had a question. I, I was just going to say, Hazel, this is quite a big theme. In um, so I listened to your endings podcast, where you you normally interview other people, but you had the tables turned on you, and and uh, you had a is it a psychotherapist who asked you. Uh, questions. I can't remember her name. Oh, it's one of the psychologists what, I work with. So, yes, yeah. yeah, she was brilliant. And um, one of the things you talked about in that is that um, you gave some tips, but one of them was about integrating that loss. So even if it is a, if it's a grief of things that you haven't done or of the the, the change in self identity, um, including the not having children, whether or not that was a choice, and then it, you know it was a later a decision made. Those are things mm. that we need to look at and. I don't know whether it's about in a certain time of our lives or just general advice for people you work with, but that integration of loss, I think, really sort of struck a chord with me that I think we, as as we're going through menopause or as I'm going through menopause, a lot of things are changing and it's about re redefining myself. And I think yeah. some of that is accepting that there is a loss, even if, you know, I might not have recognised it previously or made decisions not to have kids or other decisions about my career or what have you is it it does feel like there is a lot of grief around this time oh there's I think there's a huge amount of grief particularly when um women can be made to feel that they have no right to grieve that like oh well you chose not to have children or you know you didn't have rather than it's irrelevant that there is something really primal about that loss and 
again, the the language is almost as if, oh, you just need to get over yourself or you need to get through it rather than actually we need to integrate and be able to walk alongside it. So like any grief, there's a difference between grief and grieving. So that grief is the emotion that just flares up. And from time to time, I used to say it used to be um, little shoes, little socks, always did it to me I had to avoid certain parts of shops because it was like I'd be standing there having a little cry and you think I was okay with the choice before <laughs> why am I standing crying at little socks this is ridiculous but that's grief versus the grieving process which you learn to walk alongside and so it, it just gets gentler and more comfortable because um, and one of the things that I uh, I, I lost two babies and Sorry. Uh, I went on a phenomenal family systems course that said rather than we pretend they never existed, that we are okay they did, and that part of the grieving and the letting go process is to radically include everything, include every even the babies that didn't get to be here, for whatever reason, include them. And so uh, on that session, that yeah, I chose a couple of little stones um, th- that represented the two babies. And I have a little glass heart that they live inside. And at Christmas, it's hung on the tree because it becomes a thing that it's, I'm OK to talk about it now. They were part of me. They lived for a bit, but not they didn't get to be born. That's OK. And that's all part of, I think, being a woman and a woman's journey that sometimes we have these experiences that we're always meant to pretend didn't happen and mm-hmm. you know stick it into the carpet and and that's just a lumpy rug that trips everyone up so mm. i do think it's important to talk and yeah and form that new identity because i definitely thought once i embraced being a, a sweary wise old bird <laughs> oh you've embraced that welcome to the club <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But it felt really good because it's like, actually, who am I now? Who am I when I'm freed from this, you know, horrendous experience of, of, you know, of of periods before? Who am I when I am older? My body's changed as a consequence of going through menopause. You know, and now I know I have old lungs, which is not a thing you think of. (laughs) It's like, excellent. A few of us ex-smokers have those as well, unfortunately. Yes, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I, I love that, Hazel, that, that um, the importance of, you know, recognising that things happened and being, you know, one, one of the things we've always said on this podcast the whole time we've been doing it is making it OK to talk about. And that when we were talking about menopause, but, you know, there's so much around women's lives and existence and the conditioning that we have to kick against that actually mm-hmm. we need to make okay to talk about and feel the emotions and express the emotions as well so yeah yeah it's really powerful well that way it makes loss easier to bear if you get hijacked by grief it's easier to bear because people understand that some things will just and also just the physical side of being more comfortable if someone realizes let's get the aircon on <laughs> yeah. melting but all of those just it being a, a comfortable conversation rather than something you've got to battle through on your own and and feel like well if i'm not getting through it is there something wrong with me Mm. everything that you've been through has that really helped you in your your work and has it really informed you know how you advise all your clients and how you coach people Yes, absolutely. I think it's two ways. The one is I genuinely don't judge 
anybody. Usually when someone says, oh, you know, oh, you're going to think really badly of me. Really? No. Life is too short, uh, you know, for many reasons that are not as part of a podcast. I've gone an absolute Brazilian soap opera of a life. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, don't judge. It's also, you know, the, the kind of cliche of don't sweat. The small stuff, I mean, apart from done a lot of sweating in menopause, there <laughs> is something about, you know, when you've been through this, no, well, some things just don't matter. They really don't matter. And I, I see people agonising over decisions in life that, you know, there's a, a lovely thing with, uh, that I teach there about um, uh, time and that we, in our uh, culture, we are very obsessed about uh, we call it Kronos, and so how I was taught it was three types of time, all named after Greek gods. And Kronos is with the obsession with calendars, watches, and, and that's what I think gives this issue about uh, how we think about time and what we've got to do, and oh, I've got, got to pretend I'm on my game and keep going. And and then you've got Kairos, which is the right time, and that's mellower and an interesting way of seeing that there are right times to do things, and there's right times to stop things, and it's being okay that's just life. There's time, a right time that feels good when you allow things to happen as they should. And then the final one is um, Aeon, and that's about universal time. So it's the idea of really stepping back, and I think when as a woman, you can see your life in the whole cycle. Everything just fades in huge importance. It just becomes okay. So this is the cycle of things. This is normal. And compared to other lives, it just some things that seemed so important at the time don't seem important. Uh, when I was uh, first going for surgery, even down to cutting my hair felt like such a big thing. And I've had short hair since. It's like, actually, it's really easy to look after. <laughs> I'm not growing it long again. And being skinny, you know, that sense of identity of uh, as a woman and everything from, you know, that joy of menopausal, you know, gut that no one shares. <laughs> we'll get round. And that is no shape on any diagram of a woman you will be shown. Rather than, yep. This is an interesting approach. And just, you know, the way you lay down fat is changing and the metabolism mm. changes. We think, this is almost impossible to lose weight. It's horrible. Mm. Yeah. Because there's always this expectation of, oh, well, you know, you, you're going to bounce back I think, or not. How how do you get the joy of the gut? Because I still haven't got that. <laughs> oh, I call it my Buddha belly. <laughs> there's oh, that's something. A good one. Really quite joyous. I give it a bit of a rub for luck. (laughs) (laughs) But sometimes I find myself, I'm talking to people, I realise I'm actually like rubbing my stuff or I'm I'm, I'm I'm holding a fat roll. I mean, it's really not not a good... Yeah, I'm going to grab mine now while we're talking about it. Hold it off my (laughs) (laughs) When you can hold a roll of fat off your knickers, it's... It's, it's so wrong, but so right. It's, you know, this is the joy people miss out on. Oh, I love I've this. this is I've earned that roll of fat, yeah. especially yeah. this oh, Christmas. Yeah. yeah. Oh. The, the, this took a lot of work <laughs> to get <Yeah>. here. <laughs> just love what you were talking about. Was What was it called? A- Aeon, the last same Aeon, time. Aeon, yeah. Aeon. So that's universal time. I don't know if you watched the Bridget Christie comedy series, The Change, and oh, it's fabulous. Just everybody watch it. Uh, but she has this beautiful thing in like the last episode where 
they have this ceremony. She sort of takes back this very sort of male ancient ceremony from this like countryside village and, and turns it into like this beautiful, joyful celebration of transitions um, in, of a woman's life. When you were talking about the Aeon thing and the cycle of life there, it just reminded me of that. And yeah, I, I think that's sort of celebrating that actually this is all part of it and we have a place and the transitions are fine. And actually, you know, there are endings here, but these are these are can be joyful transitions as well, you know. Yeah, because that's uh, as we talk and I talk a lot about endings, but um, something always begins after. It's just mm. I think it's characterises a time of ending and loss, and as if you know the end of your reproductive cycle is suddenly your end of usefulness as a human being. Rather, no, you'll just become something else, and then that becomes a weirdly exciting because who am I when I can tell people to fuck the fuck off and yeah, sit man. there holding my gut. <laughs> right on. Like, Who is this person? This, I, I like this think person. life was glamour. And now I'm like, nope. I love it's, brilliant, it's brilliant, isn't it? How women's confidence seems to be at direct opposite direction to their actual physical bodiness and attractiveness. Like when I had my best body, when I didn't even have any cellulite in my thigh, I had no confidence... And now I've got loads of confidence on the biggest thighs yeah. I've ever had, and I don't care. No, <laughs> because that's the best thing. It's not giving it out yeah. because you just bl- blossom. <laughs> Although, you know, you, you try to do the best you can to stay fit and healthy, but I just think there's something rather marvellous about <laughs> going to seed for a bit. <laughs> Again, it's a natural cycle of life. There's something funny about it. Um, you mentioned optimism before, and I, I feel like you are—you have been so optimistic in all the way that you talk about all of the crap that has been thrown at you and all of your, you know, many health problems. Is that the key? And if so, you know, to, to getting through it all as you have, and and if so, how? How do you remain optimistic when you're having all those health problems and life crises all thrown at you all at once? As in psychology, there's a famous piece of research uh, by a guy called Martin Seligman who um, actually did very horrible things to dogs, but basically electrocuted dogs to see if they would move away from the pain into a more comfortable area. And because like any mammal, of course they do to start with, but then they stop. And what's interesting is over time, they start to just give up and accept the pain. Mm. And... Because the question was, well, do people do that? And the, yeah, they do. Um, and I think that's the interesting bit when you can... And I think the the researcher who um, you know led that study, I think was a bit depressed by it. So he flipped and spent the rest of his career, and still does, focusing on learned optimism. That even when things are you can learn to be optimistic. And the one thing that humans do that's a bit different is it's the way we describe negative events. So when people are getting pessimistic, they tend to make things sound like it's, oh, it's everything, everything's going wrong and it's it's always going to be like that. And of course, well, of course you'd be hopeless with that if you think it's always going to be bad and it's never going to change. And the other thing, and it's all to do with re- the way to remember it is three Ps, is permanence, pervasiveness and personalisation. And I think the... The permanence and pervasiveness is, is it always going to be this way and is it, is it going to affect everything? Whereas when you can just say, it's just this and it's just now and that's it, 
So even something big like wrench is right, okay, I will get through this or I won't. It's just this. But either way, it will be over soon. And then the final P is the personalisation. Unfortunately, this is something that women have a tendency to do, which is when things go wrong, we blame ourselves. Mm. And you turn it in. And it's like a dagger in the heart. But when you can learn to take the dagger out and go, who actually deserves this one? (laughs) It's not me. (laughs) And it's been able to recognise, ah, yeah, so I've made it my fault. And it's not my fault. It's just now, it's just this, and it's not me. But that takes a bit of practice. You just keep going. Do personalisation, but it's just blown my mind. You know, as soon as you hear that, you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, women do do that, don't they? Crikey. Oh, yeah. And the problem is, you know, we take the blame and and the guys are just letters because that's not the Mm. way they think. And, And similarly, you can learn, but it just sounds unfamiliar to hear women say well I wasn't given the resources I wasn't given the support it was an environmental reason they're just finding reasons oh is she not able to accept accountability it's like you can't win so there is something around being able to express both that I am accountable for my part in this but no more than that interesting poor dogs though oh yeah it's pretty grim there's many (laughs) vile studies in, in psychology that you yeah. you kind of hesitate to share with people going, I'm sorry, this is what <laughs> we've done. <laughs> I saw a quote on your website, Hazel, which said, if you don't make time for your wellness, you'll be forced to make time for your illness. Read that again. And read that again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it was another, it was something that. else. I mean, listening to, you t- listening to your uh, podcast as well, it really just chimed with me. It was just like, oh, that's really really wise words that you know we're talking about time and the three types of time but one of them is making mm. time for yourself isn't it and making sure that you prioritize yourself because as women we don't do we we have everyone else we have families we have parents we have work whatever we're doing and we are down mm. that pecking order and and when things get busy we get further and further down it so that oh. yeah and if you think we've talked about identity and one thing that's different about female identity is it we tend to be socially constructed. So it's all around our relationship to other people, who we yeah. are to other people in our lives. Mm. And, you know, the upside of that, we can cope with redundancy better. I mean, weird upside, but um, <laughs> but when it comes to family. Yeah, it's really hard to say, actually, I need this time. I need this space. I want mm. to go and figure out who I am now and you need to leave me to it for a bit mm. you know, or whatever that is. That And the slowing down is um, is a really important part of not just rehab, but I think of life, of being okay, that I'm, I'm not going to race around doing things like that anymore. And that's okay. That doesn't mm. make what I do less valuable. It's just, yeah, this is the way it needs to be. Mm. Although if we race around a bit more, we might not have the uh, spare wheel. <laughs> the gut. <Yeah. laughs> that said, one of the people I'm, I've been uh, part interviewing today is the, the guy who's coaching me to lose weight. So I'm oh, a stone wow. and a half down. It's like, come Yay, on. Well done. <laughs> a lot. Good work. Well done. Although even saying Good that, work. we're all like, we're enabling you well, to I know, think that it's weight true. is it's everything. I know, it's conditioning. Yeah. It's not a shameful. Get your gut out. No. Where's the yeah. body belly? <laughs> Oh, yeah, sadly, right. but again, the menopausal shape means the butter belly's still there. It's smaller, oh. but it's still. <laughs> I love the idea that it's lucky. 
Yes, give it a rub for luck. <laughs> of course, if anybody else attempted to rub it, I would be really... <laughs> that would be weird. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, that's awesome. Oh. Well, thank Thanks, you, Hazel. Hazel, so, so much for telling us your incredible story and for sharing all those brilliant tips as well and wise words. And if you want to check out Hazel's podcast, just search for Endings on all of your favourite podcasting apps. Um, and that's it for this episode of Effing Hormones. We will be back in a month or so to write us a review or share the podcast so more menopausal people can join our gang. Love you loads. Bye. Love you. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Hazel. Bye.